I feel like that can't be good. <laughs> Cold flashes. Yeah, like I've actually not felt that ever before in my life. I feel like it's probably like nerve damage or something. Um, I hope. Not. I don't know. I'm gonna call my surgeon. Yeah, like, you hey. should. You should. Um, <laughs> that's some tangible advice you can take from this episode. Seek the advice of a medical professional when weird shit is happening to your body. Especially if he gives you his number after being inside you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the middle of the 20th century in the United States of America, hundreds and hundreds of teenage boys and girls are becoming hopeless soap addicts every year. It's fantastic. Uh, so, to give some context, we recorded, like, a first episode, but it never saw the light of day because it wasn't very good. Um, and so, we realized that in the last two episodes, we really haven't gotten to, like, the origin story of PGPC. I think we're going to call this episode PGPC Origins. Um, we didn't really get into the... Sorry. We didn't really get into the... The history, the context, the... All of that stuff. Who we are, how we know each other, how we got here. So, we wanted to take this episode to kind of almost like informally introduce ourselves um and what this is and yeah and what we're doing what we're trying to accomplish um so who are we I already kind of mentioned at the top I'm a graphic designer based in LA I'm a cat mom to a 17 year old nebulum and Christian who are you What's what's a nebulum? It's, that's Sam's breed. It's, it's the breed of cat. Okay, I'd, I'd not, I'd never. It's a I'm too far into the world of cat breeds. It's a cross between an American long hair and a Russian blue. So it's like a long. So a lot of the times people mistakenly call them a long haired Russian blue, but it's actually its own breed called a nebulum because they're crossed with an American long hair. We will be above all else a cat centric pod. Um, because my name is I feel like I feel like our demographic is I feel like what our demographic will be will probably involve a lot of people that are cool with cats. So, anyway, go ahead. Um, uh, no, you're good. I'm Christian, I'm like a privacy phobic, so I think it's like old hat to say how old you are, but like new to say what your sign is, but at the same time, I feel like giving people a general time of when you were born specifically like within the month is like worse for general security and like credit card stuff than actually just telling your age. So anyway, I'm a Taurus. Um, <laughs> yeah. And happy uh, almost birthday, by the way. Thanks. Based in the, I mean, yeah, thanks. You're, you're, yeah. Based in the Bay area. Um, uh, to take it a step further, for sure. Like a chronic depressive disorder person. Um, that I've never like properly medicated because I'm still a baby who can't like stick to workout plans or like pill regimens and um, like diagnosis like bipolar like I don't know if there's a word for that like there is for schizoaffective like bipolar affective but like I yeah I haven't gotten too deep into 
I didn't like have therapy or not therapy, but insurance for a long time, which I'm not going to like make a big deal about. But um, <laughs> I think a lot of people um, can relate to that right now. I personally, <clears throat> I'm medicated and I haven't had insurance for hmm. well over a year. So yeah. I've just been paying for it out of pocket, which has been fun and yeah. fresh. So there was definitely, yeah, I mean, not that I've like was unwilling to talk about it before, but it was probably not as apparent then but yeah it's probably like a lot of cultural influences that were just like you don't need to take those anymore or like they're not as this is placebo more than you know any sort of actual um effective therapy or whatever pharma pharmaceutical intervention um yeah well i think a lot of people talk about it like it's a band-aid and it's not yeah if you genuinely have like a chemical imbalance in your brain you have a chemical imbalance in your brain and a lot of the times it's genetic for me yeah. uh personally mine is very much genetic i take i'm medicated for chronic depression and adhd which i have very aggressive adhd and as we alluded to at the top when i talked about leaving um like wet cat food open out on my counter uh as I was tornadoing through my apartment this morning. But for me, it's very genetic. I mean, I have uh, three half siblings, all of which have like a diagnosed disorder of some kind. Uh, One of my brothers specifically has extremely aggressive OCD. My mother, for instance, has... Shoutouts, shoutouts to OCD. Yeah. My mother, for instance, has a panic disorder and an anxiety disorder. And my father is bipolar. And so I was just... So there's a lot of, like, scientific evidence, you know, showing that my... I was born with this brain. It's not anything, you know... It's always been... Like, I... Like, I, like, I never have had, like, a point of reference of not feeling the way that I, I do. So, so I, I, I'm very, very staunchly in the camp of medication is not a Band-Aid. It can be if the reason you're depressed is, is external reasons. That you need to change but sometimes even when it's external you need the medication to give you the clarity of mind to to change those external factors and that's something that sophie and i have argued about before uh like um yeah fight me go for it i've always i've always said it like for granted that uh no one like no medical professional whatever wants you to like take antidepressants or like pharmaceuticals indefinitely um and so if he was like how is that like the underpinning philosophy for something you want destigmatized like you can't necessarily hold those two things in mind without there being some contradiction um I think it's a great goal to have. I think yeah, neither one of them are wrong or are right, probably. I mean, people, I think a lot nowadays, or maybe always, uh, I sound like a boomer, but like people completely 
neglect nuance a lot. There's nuance to these things. It's not black or white. You know, some people can just like go to Soul Cycle twice a week and like that's enough serotonin production in their brain for them to be okay. For me, um, when I'm unmedicated, it's like the idea of getting out of bed and taking a shower and feeding myself is like those are impossible hurdles. So it's nuanced and I think like you can't forget that. So it's hard to say, you know. I never want to come off as like, I'm like, yeah, medication is the one and only way to go. It's the perfect answer to everybody's problem because it's not. Um, and I and I don't believe that. I think I say things that could make it sound like that's my perspective, but it, it's not. I think like, it's just you want to toe the line between saying like, getting off medication is a good goal to have for yourself, but at the same time, not then by saying that make people feel bad for needing to stay on medication indefinitely. So it's like a hard line to toe. So I think like if your goal, if like the reason for your depression is something like external that you can work through and maybe get to a point where you don't need medication, that's an awesome goal to have. But if that's not a realistic goal for you, like for me, it being genetic and something that I've always had, um, Um, whether I was conscious of it or not, like, it that's not a realistic goal and I don't want to make myself feel bad for that not being a realistic goal I think you I mean it comes down to like that trope of like you can't compare yourself to other people but I mean that's way easier said than done that's way easier like put onto a cute little graphic on Pinterest than it is actually applied to real life but yeah and I like and my I think I figured I remembered what I said to make us mm-hmm. come in harmony about this um but something additional and, and first to show that like yeah there is nuance and there's situations where it's like what are you gonna do like this person legitimately cannot stop taking medication um there's this like uh, a kickboxer mma guy who's mentioned in like some new beige frequency videos you should peep oh Sophie. yeah and also the audience should peep beige frequency um it's a really good video this guy, essayist on youtube uh, we'll link him in the show notes which uh gary goodrich um who like is alive still and like is taking medication for cte um like symptoms of it um, or it manifesting within his life and he like is on camera literally being like if i didn't have this medication like my life would have ended a long time ago um and uh i can't make statements like i don't i don't like i don't know anything about law or pharmacology but that i mean that'll tie in with like the benoit thing later like cte and like aggression and suicidal ideation and stuff but the second thing was like um i think i mentioned like they're like the the paradigm is like slightly different it's not like doctors don't want you to take medication although like i think as like a patient advocate not that that's like a title i'll take but this is just the frame of mind um like taking medication is inherently like unstable like there's always like times where you like won't have access to it or for people like people won't get it but that's not what but i'm that's saying a like, gen- the yeah that's a genuine fear that i've had before <clears throat> yeah where i've gone to the pharmacy and they've been like oh sorry we're out of x y and z yeah. until you know this date that's yeah, happened like, to I, me and, and it's scary because you're like well i can't just put my entire life on hold until then yeah. and i know that like for people who maybe don't aren't medicated maybe not won't relate to that but it's it really is like you feel like you have to put your life on hold to accommodate these oh, yeah. external forces. I've, I've heard that like phrasing 
consciously or subconsciously. Um, you know, like medical interventions like that do only work so insofar as like the supply lines work and stuff. But the counter argument I was going to make is like no doctor is giving you or prescribing you, you know, medication for any anything mental health wise um, with the intent of telling you like, OK, you have like two years to take this and then you're done. Yeah. But more so like the underlying sort of plan with a lot of the medication is like it should kick in and eventually one day without your direction, without their direction, without you're making it an object, without you're making it a goal, you may or should or could find yourself in a position where like mentally you you do come to the decision like because of your own competence or your own capacity with like yeah. that slight boost like you mentioned to get you to dress yourself and eat um because that like what like you said you have to do the work like that's like the the regimen you have to take the pill but you also have to probably do like the cognitive behavioral therapy stuff where you like learn um yeah. you know there's ups and downs to life and like you know that sounds like very um anodyne and stupid <laughs> when people tell you that but it's like when you're stressed and when you're panicking if you have like the muscle memory because that's all it is to be like this will wear itself out I don't know like how long but like you know there's steps to this let me break it down let me get some water let me go outside that sort of thing we as opposed to like letting my life fall apart and like <laughs> we've had this conversation a lot but about like therapy versus like whether you start with therapy or whether you start with medication and it's sort of this like chicken or the egg debate that like there is no right answer to but my perspective has always been like because I think a lot of people have this criticism of psychiatrists where they're like you walk in you're there for like 15 minutes and they hand you a prescription and tell you to come back in a month and my argue my counter to that is for people who have a genuine chemical imbalance in their brain, there's no point sometimes to starting the cognitive behavioral work until you've gotten to a place of mental clarity where you're ready to even be receptive to it. Like for me, I wasn't going to take the, you know, I wasn't going to take the suggestions and advice and like directives of my uh, like mental health provider until I was at a point of like mental clarity where I would even be receptive to it where I would even have like the capacity to take it in and actually apply it um so I mean it's kind of like it, it it's almost like I guess to make like a analogy that I don't know if it's gonna work but uh it's kind of like you do like the surgery before you do the physical therapy like you have to fix the the actual physical or in this case chemical hindrance before you can actually start um practicing using that that part of your body again does that make sense yeah yeah so it would kind of be like yeah it would be like having an injured person do physical therapy before they even like get the surgery or have like had or like have stayed off of that uh limb for you know weeks at a time or whatever it might be it's kind of like you have to actually fix the thing first and I using the word fix is really weird in this context but you actually have to like correct the the actual like physical the physical thing that's wrong before it's even possible to change the behavior I think is a better way to put it so 
that's always been my perspective and I totally understand the way that people feel like going into a psychiatrist's office and because that that's been my experience before too has been like going into a psychiatrist's office I talk for like five minutes and they're immediately like here's a prescription for Zoloft you know but and and back to the whole like oh here's some medication like you should be on it for this many months um whether or not that's like said uh for me the wording has always been we'll see how you're doing in x amount of weeks like it's always they always talk about it like at the end of the appointment where it's like okay and we'll see how you're doing in this timeline so it's not saying like they're never saying like you'll be on this forever it's just kind of a we have to cross that bridge before we can get to it this is a good transition into now that we've run past all this serious conversation quote unquote um we're gonna get into um more of the origin story so how do how do we know each other Kristen? we went to high school together i'm not gonna say where um yeah in california we can say that in california um, uh, so yeah, we went to high school together yeah. in California. Um, what was what was uh, I guess we could say like from each other's perspective who we were in high school. So I was trying to fuck. Um, well, no, like like who I who you think I was oh each other's perspective. You were. Yeah, that's what I. Mm-hmm. That's yeah that yeah. Because I feel like that's a more probably a more accurate perspective, right? <sighs> yeah, I mean. Than me saying. All right, whatever. About okay. Sophie had like a fucking Tumblr blog with like nothing but rainy pictures from like whales, and I'm like, okay. Um, Wait, you had never seen my Tumblr blog, but it's like, no but it's like this. I assumed it was the same thing as like your Insta feed. Oh yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that's true. Um, and I was like, okay, it's probably got like the Smiths and stuff on it, um, because that's like what I, that was like how right. I like broached conversation the first time. The first like real conversation um, we had, over, or not real, on, but on, like, like the Facebook first like messenger, yeah. Yeah, Facebook Messenger like, back when that was a thing. Um, before the boomers took over. Uh you yeah, you did send me a message on Facebook about the Smiths. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So I mean I was very uh, I was more or less the same, but now with a little more self awareness, I think. Yeah. And Christian, from my perspective, was just uh I mean, you were a theater kid. All right, cool. I thought you were a little extra. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you're playing safe there, but okay. <laughs> no, I thought you were extra, no, no, but like I mean, not in a bad way. Yeah. In yeah. in a way that like I'm not I mean, extra. Yeah, I guess theater really was just like most of what I was doing. Oh fuck, most I just kicked something with my broken foot. Most of what I was doing um, at that point. Um. Uh, yeah. Times. Times. Times are crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. so then, we knew each other in high school. Yeah, we like went away to college in different directions, and eventually we were supposed to like reconvene in Los Angeles. But I, I like dropped out and left town. Um, and then I tried school again, and we, um, yeah, we we. I still I still came to clarify. Yeah. I still came to LA at that time, but Christian wasn't there yeah. anymore. We were gonna be roommates, and then that didn't happen. So she just ended up because, living in a frat house. Um, yeah, I just ended up living in a frat house, um, with <laughs> where I didn't know anybody because the person that I knew uh, had had an episode. I will say though, I mean, it would have been very easy to meet people. I'm still astonished that you and like 
that person that visited you like never met anybody or like didn't make like Roddy was living in the house at that time. No, he wasn't. He was. No, he wasn't. Oh, that's right. He, he did move. Yeah. I did meet people though. I went out a good amount. I was fairly social. All right. Well, that's not how you represent it, or that's not how you present it. <laughs> really? Um, how do I? How did I present you just, it? You just said you don't know anybody. Like you literally just said that. No, I meant like when I moved in. Oh, right. I didn't right. know anybody because I it went from me because obviously that's a weird situation to put yourself into. You also weren't the move. only girl in that house though. By a by well, a yeah, but like, but that's still well. I I feel like I have. I mean, all of my closest friends are men. It's less complicated. So yeah, so I think it is also important to clarify it wasn't like a like there weren't very many white people in this frat to its credit. yeah, which I mean. If, so if, it it were, if it were like, anything else, I could be like, okay, why does that matter? But for something so historically and like structurally recapitulative of white supremacy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it wasn't like. We had, yeah, we had a one time when. In a, it, it, if you're picturing like a bunch of white dudes in tank tops with like backward snapbacks, like driving Jeeps, um, it wasn't that yeah, basically. We had like white people, but even they were like Italian. But they were like. <laughs> But, like, there was also that other guy that lived in the house who wore, like, Birkenstocks and was, like, skinny and a vegetarian. I can't remember his name. Oh, damn. Tavi. Octavio. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. He was, like, he was, like, not a frat boy. Yeah. He lived, like, next to my room. He was a catch. He was a catch. But, right. And uh, just for the sake of... I don't know, thoroughness or whatever. Like, uh, before, right, before I gave up on my degree in earnest, um, most recently, that, like, year prior, Sophie and I were working at, like, the same chain of coffee mm-hmm. shop in Los Angeles, which, like, in and of itself was, again, very uh, volatile for our mental health. Like, both of us have, like... I mean, I don't necessarily know that I have a horror story about working there, oh, I but I can many. definitely say it was like one of the one of the most stressful. Like that that is the most stressful work environment I've ever been in. Um, no, you're good. Um, so yeah, we've through thick and thin, like somehow tangled each other in one another's plans. Um, yeah, that seems to be a, a trend with us. Is we get entangled in in each other's lives a lot. <laughs> that's not to say that that like is what qualifies us to do any like introspection i think it's more so that like oh I, I mean yeah i was i, I blurted it out or like on earlier but um i didn't expect this to be like any sort of enduring friendship when i like reached out to you on facebook yeah um, same so the fact that we've like transplanted across states several times um, and like seeing each other like break down and leave or me um yeah we have this like weird like our I think like the story of our friendship uh seems to be this like weird thing of like separating and then just like ending up back together yeah. um there's but, probably some astrological shit there but right sorry well, to cut you off um, yeah, we were so, working at the same coffee chain and then we both in our own time frames um transitioned from working at that coffee uh coffee chain to working for a like a star cbd startup um and then that's when i like like the ceiling or no rather the the floor fell out from underneath me because eventually like, that the same thing happened to me but uh, i stayed there for a year before i yeah. realized 
that uh, the weight of toxic masculinity was right. too much. I was like virulently like, this is bullshit. Like, this is a bad company. Like, I don't. And I like, I was almost like telling everyone to quit. But I was definitely saying that I was going to quit. And like shortly thereafter, I would like run away to, to upstate New York. Wow, I forgot about that. Um, well, and, I think and, like I don't want to say that I was having like a manic episode because I don't think I ever have. No, we all were. No, we all were. I mean, okay, I, I think definitely I might was. Have... No, that la- that my last year in Los Angeles was a hundred percent one big like. Well, yeah, you know, for you, 100%. racing, crashing to the bottom. Um, but I, I mean, I was also like relatively fresh off of like a pretty like destructive emotionally right. breakup, so I was just in a place of like. I'm, I'm going saying. to cover up all of my feelings with with substances and this weird, like, it was this weird, um, what's the word? Um, this weird ambition that is... It was a, yeah, and that's, a, that's I think that's the point that I'm trying to get to. Like, it, it, I'm not trying to give myself credit, but, like, I was, for the earliest part, like, the main communication bridge between the company and like us mm-hmm. um and um it's such oh, a wow. weird story too what was i gonna say yeah um <laughs> shit uh and right like the way that i was talking to them and the way that i was just like living my life at that time was like super frenetic and like nothing like everything was constantly shifting and i was constantly moving um you were moving fast and breaking things 100 percent. i mean that. breaking me i wasn't breaking anything because you're supposed to like break right. structures that's like yeah. the whole point of that like silicon valley bullshit is like you just like take advantage of loopholes and stuff before they get closed and i you think get grandfathered in I think, but i was just like yeah hurting myself i think that's a really good explanation of manic episodes is like you think that you're moving fast and breaking things but you're really just breaking yourself yeah and uh, you're not a thing um yeah but and so it's just right so because i was like the main like sort of coordinator for our interviews and us getting hired like none of it made sense like none of <laughs> i don't <laughs> wow that yeah like you really just can't negotiate your way way above into your head or you know you, you can, can talk negotiate. yourself i think a good moral of this story is you can talk yourself into just about anything for better or for worse and that's so funny because like even now i'm like what am i providing <laughs> yeah yeah to like our content or whatever but like when we were trying to get hired by this startup like we explicitly like divvied up tasks and we were like, you can do, you know, the third person, we were like, you can do Twitter and, like, engagement and analytics. So if you can do, like, graphics. And then it was just like, Christian can talk. <laughs> Christian can get us, like, interviews and, like, do shitty Google Docs presentations that, like, yeah. But, um, but I will say, like, and we talked about this in the episode with Ronnie, but Christian, between the three of us, is kind of, as much as you do go through these like manic episodes or have um or my undiagnosed ADHD yeah um (laughs) but which will lead us into the next thing but um uh, you are always like the stabilizing force between the three of us because like we said in the last episode I'm an Aquarius Christian's a Taurus Ronnie's a Pisces um and and uh like we also said like Christian's entire like birth chart is like all fucking earth signs and then for me 
my rising is a Scorpio and my moon is an Aries. Um, okay, I, know. I know Scorpios are bad news. I know that much. You don't feel like a grounding force, but but like, but you are in more ways than you realize. Um, That's good to hear. Yeah, like, well, because I feel like anytime you and I, which has been like few and far between, uh, as much as as far as I can remember, like anytime we've ever had like an argument or something or like some sort of like blow up, I'm the very like emotional yelling angry say things i don't mean person and you seem are always like very calm and cool and collected and seem to like have a level of mental clarity that i just can't maintain when i'm upset but you keep a you keep a cool head or at least appear to keep a cool head even if you're not whereas i can't hide where oh yeah so like whereas I can't hide my emotions very well I'm really bad at it I get told that a lot when I was like in a customer facing job I got told a lot that like if you're having a bad day you need to get better at pretending that you're not which is a life skill I don't fault people for saying that ever I think that's an important life skill that I just I just have never developed um before we started working for this, like, startup, we kind of had, like, the summer of, uh, what did I say? The summer of, like, the summer, the of, summer mania of mania and drugs so, yeah, and um, self-destruction. Uh, um, and so it was at those coffee shops that we, like, met the people who recruited for this this CBD startup. So we were working in the space of digital weed for a while. Um, I grew... Yeah, because of, yeah, the uh, previously you mentioned mania, I grew um, co- like way faster than anyone else. I'm paranoid about our prospects there and like our overall security and just generally realized I didn't care about like the product at all. I didn't realize that would be something I cared about so much. I thought as a college student, I'd be happy with the $500 a week, but no. Um, oh, it was less and, than and $500 yeah. a week. It was... At a month, I think, actually, yeah. It was, a month, no, it or... was $1,000 a month. Oh, so bi-weekly. Yeah. Which, yeah. So 250 a looking, week. <laughs> looking back, it's a sweet amount of money for doing what I was doing. But um, I didn't care about selling weed to rich ladies' dogs. Um, so now, yeah, a year later. Yeah, and I be- eventually kind of came to the same conclusion. It just took me a lot longer to get there. But sort of like the impetus for... Pretty Girl Pill Club and was like this weird summer where we created public notice um and it wasn't like a very like fleshed out idea or anything it was just kind of like again mania it's nuts and we were Mm -hmm. doing a lot of drugs (laughs) and yeah but like aspirin and stuff yeah but what came out of that I think is like this understanding of like I think the main inspiration was just like the way that the way that we like self-medicate when we don't know what's wrong with us and like the way Mm -hmm. that we deal with ourselves is like it's it's self-destructive and silly and stupid and it's not good, but I think it's, like, important mm-hmm. to, like, talk about that side of it and not just, like, have this very, like, clean-cut view of the way people deal with mental health. It's, like, you get sad yeah. or, like, you go through something 
and then you like go see a doctor right or i think you know so for so many people not that that is like a bad framework but that is like the limit of their language around mental health right. and I, that is the result of being so puritanical about the fact that yeah we don't talk about the in-between time where yeah. where it gets self-destructive and crazy and like yeah. you or you know yeah like that's inherently that is like a escape is like a human thing and it's not evil or whatever people like navigate that with self-medication so yeah it's like you know a to help ourselves cope with it and better understand it to make sure i feel like team rocket um <laughs> to make sure that other people like also tangle with it in ways that are like outside of the average like just checking up with a friend when it gets too late and like you have to actually like blow out steam like a kettle or something yeah you know there's there's um there there's an alternative or just things you can do within the meantime besides just like swinging like a pendulum from being extremely self-destructive and closed off or like extremely vulnerable and pouring yourself out to people like there are right um and it looks different and it you know it doesn't necessarily look like this sort of conversational thing for everybody not at all but yeah. you know. and it's also like it's it i gotta eat <laughs> it's like taboo in a way to where like it's not okay to talk about like the self-destructive things we've done when we've been yeah. like very mentally ill and like yeah. you get put in a and, weird position yeah. where like you want to be able to like be frank about it but it's just like yeah. it, people read too much into it i think like yeah I, and through through all the the times that i've like retold those couple years like i don't think i've ever like said it quite this way to anybody but it probably was just if you boiled it down like mania was mania know, mixed from... with drugs mixed with like i mean all right hold on no but like <laughs> i'm not i'm not i'm not refuting that but i'm just like trying to <laughs> trying to like paint you know paint it as plainly and accessibly yeah um, but i think like that's know, an important thing to note is that like yeah. we were all like encouraging each other in like very toxic ways sure yes yes i can't i, I can't deny that um but it See, this is what I mean yeah. about like the taboo of it, or like the uncomfortability of it. I suppose, yeah, and that like yeah, that is the underlying point I'm trying to make. You have to like, to, like, like that, lean you know, into the uncomfortability yeah. of it. I think that's never that's never been a way I framed it for like anybody that I've told it to before. That it was just mania, like you know, making me sputter out, and that's not an excuse, right? Like I'm not saying I couldn't have. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to this. I'll have to rephrase it differently. Um, but. Yeah, that 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 is like symptomatic. Me not knowing how to be honest about it. Like you know, whenever I've retold this story, there there've been like different omissions and stuff like that. Um, and that is a consequence of like, you know, these people can't see that side of what my um mental health looks like or the tools that I have. Like which at that time were a lot of self medication and like substance abuse. Like that's not a way that I can like. That's not a language that this person has. They don't, you know, understand mental health through that frame. But that's also an assumption, do, though. But that's also yeah, an assumption that's, that we're that's making true. of other people that they can't understand. Or, but, I mean, of these people I knew, like, the, you know, if oh, they totally. do have that framework, it's because, like, it's like wine or something. Like, you know, there's, like, these different cultural things, which was like also, like, the, the... And you don't yeah, understand. And exactly. Or a Karen, you know. And, <laughs> See, yeah. that's new language around this that, like, you know helps um yeah becky is just like i was like so depressed i like went to soul cycle and like drank a whole bottle of wine i'm so quirky and cute but it's like or it's like karen's who like you know it it, they completely 
they don't see the nuance is of like the war on drug or whatever yeah that's um, that's or, another and, and, thing and, where it's like as soon as you say like oh we had like but it's like getting blasted on wine at soccer practice right. or like ballet rehearsal is completely fine. well and it's also like a double standard too <laughs> like where that's okay and, and like what we went through wasn't okay and, and it's and it and it's not that every Karen or whoever is doing that, but more or less, like, there's this sort of cultural, like, load bearing or load star, you know? Yeah. Where were they to see that behavior in someone that looks like them or that someone that they accept as, like, a quality person, it's not alarming. But if, like, that same person were to be popping Xanax. Yeah. It's completely, like, crazy. And yeah. it, that's a good, you know, that that's a good, like, um paradigm. Because, I you know, I moved to the city... About a year ago, you know, I, I think we talked about that in the last episode, but I moved to the Bay Area April 1st of last year. It's now April 7th. Um, so I've just been like thinking back about like, oh, what did I do when I first came here? Yeah. Um, and I, I there, <laughs> there was this coffee shop I used to go to all the time. It's closed right now. And it's right next to like an opera house. And I was leaving as it was closing one night. And like this opera, I, I think an opera was starting, right? A show, because there was a bunch of people milling outside. And these people pulled up out like, walked out of like a it's not a limousine but it was like a really nice car and this older lady's just like super limp and like her one of her like daughters is freaking out and she's just like oh my god mom like did you take a xanax uh and i just i always thought of that like uh that i think it's chance the rapper he's like no it's kanye it's kanye west he said i wouldn't have if if we knew if i knew we had plans i wouldn't have popped some xans yeah um like it's like but if she was just like you know wine wine drunk and super like racist (laughs) it would be a bad look but it'd be like oh okay she just like had a little bit too much but like because this came out of a pill bottle as opposed to like a a bag yeah exactly and yeah and you know next to this lady there's like just homeless people on the street and it's like how are they getting their fix like in a way that is inherently criminalized and what's the difference and there is no difference exactly and that was kind of like the biggest like inspiration for pretty girl pill club is that like again like people there people don't accept nuance a lot of the time they if you say like oh i went through a bad phase where i was like abusing substances it's immediately like oh you were an addict and now you're a recovering addict and it's like maybe that's true but also like there there are like tears in between that of like where you went through a phase and where like you were a full-blown like you know had a drug problem and like whether or not that's true and like maybe it's just like denial but it's like like they don't the way that like it changes you in the eyes of other people is like so Mm -hmm. is so and a a good way to crystallize this is like by no means like there's the disclaimer in the beginning but by no means we're not saying it's okay so this is no no i mean so this isn't new like me saying that we're not experts and we're not done growing or whatever but um like, I recently met someone in a different state, and we were, like, talking about what led us to drop out in college, and we both said substance abuse. And, like, I've encountered a lot of people in my personal life or people that I've met, like, after college in my personal life um, who, like, attribute that as a reason for them taking time off substance abuse. And it's hard, it, it, at least the people I encountered, it was typically not hard drugs. Like, it was, like, they were abusing, like, you know the worst like cocaine and like that like there's a discussion to be had about like what makes something worse and like the cultural things right. that go into well, that well it's important to but, but a lot of like weed and stuff it's important. And, and then this person yeah. 
this person without blinking was just like heroin and I was like whoa like yeah I didn't say this but I recognized that I was about to say this like I never would have assumed that about and you. I think like you should like, be never... able to openly say that without like the judgment like you can like exactly like, you yeah. should be able to be honest about like really like awful shit that you've done without people immediately going to oh you're a drug addict oh you're this like they want to put a label on it and I get that that's just human nature but like it it doesn't change it shouldn't change who you are in the eyes of other people in the sense that like you know whether or not you're a good person or like whether or not you're like a person that can be relied upon and stuff and so I think and yeah there's sometimes when I wonder like is what we're doing anything more than like addiction apologia like you know i wonder that too these, i go through the but pot. but 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 just like you know like that interaction in of itself is like i would have had this awful not awful necessarily but i would have had this like restricted um uh framework with which to deal with like addiction with regards to like heroin um if i hadn't met this person and if they hadn't been like kind enough to be open and if i hadn't been receptive about it and like that sounds like okay why do i need to like make a room for that like motherfucker open your eyes like there's, there's an opioid epidemic and people like in your city i guarantee you um like a growing number every month if not every day like are now that like uh the economy has fallen or has screeched to a halt like there's a growing number of people who are turning to like escape in these extremely cheap uh extremely um like uh easy to poison or manipulate you know easy to cut with like very toxic agents right and so Um, and it's manifesting as the opioid epidemic yeah and i think it's like important that like what it boils down to ultimately is everybody's trying to deal with something and the way that we deal with it a lot of the times does come down to class culture Mm -hmm. all of these things so if you're like a soccer mom you might be popping Mm -hmm. xanax and like painkillers every once in a while whereas if you're like a poor person or in a lower socioeconomic class, it might be hair. Yeah. Yeah, it just pauses. Um, Does it just yeah. like pause? Um, okay, like, so what or? I was saying okay. is like. So we need to start looking at the. You know, if you're a soccer, if you're a wealthy soccer mom, it might be like popping Xanax or popping like a painkiller <laughs> every once in a while. And if you're of a lower socioeconomic class, it might be heroin and we treat those people differently and we treat those two things differently even though ultimately they're the same and a lot of the times it's like there are I guarantee you there are people in your life that you know who have done drugs or like Mm -hmm. use substances to cope with things and you have no idea and then if you if you don't you know that there's then there's public figures who I'm not trying to like shit on them but it's like People know about their complications. People know about their term- tumultuous, like, public or, you know, individual lives. But if I were to tell you, like, specific, like, accounts or stories or, like, you know, like, what makes Charlie Sheen Charlie Sheen, a lot of people would be like, whoa, I had no idea he did that. Like, you know, it would change the typical American, like, television viewer's perception of, like, what his, like, right. life path has been. Um, but, yeah, Catholic in Hollywood, not a good mix. Not a good mix Well, and Yeah, man. and then also, like, <laughs> just for uh, the cultural context, like, we were, you know, early 20s in L.A. where, like, yeah, yeah. people talk about cocaine like it's weed. Yeah. And, like, I'm not saying that that's a good and- thing, but I'm saying, like, to give the cultural context, like, the way that people approach drugs and the way that people look at different drugs is so different than if you're in fucking Kansas or something. Maybe I was being naive or maybe I'm being naive now, but it's, I think it's also like people in coffee talk about cocaine. <laughs> like, oh, like it's yeah. Weird. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, we're, we're far from the only people who I've heard like, you know, tell stories about 
closing and skiing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. And, yeah, and, and like it's and not a, a it's people, not a, a unique people, story. A lot of those people have been like not in LA. It was, I guess was the point that I was going yeah. to get to. It's not a unique story and people don't acknowledge it. And so I think like it's and in regards to like and how that relates to mental health, I think is just like we have to have an understanding that if people are doing things like that, like self-destructive behavior, it's not because like they're a bad person or they're a criminal or they're like whatever. It's because like we're all trying mm-hmm. to deal with something. Yeah. Like no one, some... no one talks about the cocaine problem in like cooking, which I, th- you know, I think that's the bigger thing. It's like cocaine and service industries, but a lot of chefs have like huge... cocaine and service industry is a big yeah. one. That again, waitresses. Have, I mean, like I've known, like even at my first job, like that was like a, a joke then. But it's like no, like those people had problems. <laughs> No, like, that's real. Yeah, and those people have problems. And we shouldn't treat them like they're this damaged, you know, degenerate. Like, we should treat them like a fucking yeah, human being it's, with, it's like, not thoughts that, and yeah, feelings. It's not that you should have an intervention for everybody. It. But it's, like, you should give people dignity and, like, you know, not call them junkies. Not call them – not use, like, the word crackhead as, like, a synonymous pejorative or, like, or forgetter. It is. Except, yeah, exactly. Because um, even the way that people talk about me and, like, taking Adderall for ADHD – like people want to act like that's you know synonymous with like being like a tweaker or something like that like they want to like boil it down to that and I get that um there is this like thing of where yeah like someone if you if I were abusing my medication which I'm not but if I were like how is that any different from like some like a meth addict on the street? It's not different. I was also gonna say the president of our fucking country right. has is like a known, well documented like, yeah like is a well documented Adderall abuser yeah. or yeah and, but very that's okay stuff. but that's okay and, yeah. I mean it's not but like and so that's you what know. you know his I mean just life in the modern world in in the life or in the times of like advanced sentient very effective corporate political beings. Um, but particularly this administration in the United States and particularly this like healthcare crisis, what it highlights is like, it is, it used to be like a very Occupy Wall Street or like Gen X, you know, uh, ad busters thing to say like nine tenths of the law is possession or like the law is just legalized, you know, grift and legalized theft. But in a lot of situations, like, you know, regulating the sex trade, uh, regulating selling sex or regulating who gets to use what drugs, the law is in a lot of times not there like to help consumers or society at large, but to make sure that like the transactions around who gets the okay drugs are monetized in a way that like, you know, help like corporate. Cause it, like, it's like the problem isn't that like you're doing crack. It's like, like you're buying your medicine from someone on the street as opposed to like Bayer or uh, Pfizer. Um, yeah. And um, we'll have an episode eventually very soon about like, um, because it's on my mind, and I, I, I like, I, I don't know if we've talked about it outside of this context yet. So, but like, there is a huge overlap between like mental health and like the the sex trade and, and human trafficking, and um, oh yeah, in in a way that's and interesting that's, like, to a talk whole about. Other conversation, yeah, with like the because yeah. regu- it's like people who want to like regulate sex, like the the commodity of it, like the act of selling it, like they don't. A lot of times they don't bear in mind that like that doesn't fix all the problems. It just makes it so like, like it'll be the, I mean, <clears throat> it would be a similar scenario now where it's like, there are a lot of weed companies <laughs> owned by like wealthy white people. And at the same time, like I can still go to jail for like selling weed on the, the corner. Um, or there's people still in jail for like selling weed 20 years ago. And so it's like, 
the regulation and the legalization in and of itself didn't make it go away. It just makes it more apparent that like law sometimes and a lot of the times is just uh, grift codified. Um, I think to boil it down. It's classist. <laughs> basically what we're saying is it's classism and to even further like synonymize it or I don't even think that's the right word, but to further summarize it, it's we can't treat Donald Trump railing Adderall in the Oval Office any differently than we treat a meth addict on the street. People doing heroin they're, while they're homeless. People right. who like we can't drink while they're pregnant. Like, as a lot of the times as fucking maybe on on appearance, like, nonsensical or just self-destructive, like, if we want to get to a place where people, like, get better, like, yeah, you have to... And and where people don't have to hide it. Yeah. You know? It's like, because a lot of the times people people justify their substance abuse by being like, I got it from a doctor. I mean, that's what the whole opioid epidemic is based on. And we should recognize that it doesn't make you better or worse. Uh, Both are coping with something. And it all goes back to, like, a mental health thing where it's like, we're all just trying to deal with the human experience and, like, the human condition. I said it earlier. Um, Because I said, like, life has its ups and downs when I talked about CBT as, like, a tool. But it's just, like, yeah, like, I don't know. I want to get this tattooed, like, a cork in, like, some water. Because that was, like, one of the most effective tools I was taught. It's, like, that's all you are. You're just a cork in some water. And, like, there's there's always waves. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. But it's, like, if you can picture that graph in your mind like you won't run at the soonest discomfort to like you know self-destructive behaviors whatever they are sex drugs rock and roll um but if you yeah if you like if you don't have that context like yeah and I mean I was doing that for a long time I was just like I don't know how to operate in these new environments and so I'm gonna cope with these like things that I know make me feel good and now like you know five years later Nothing feels good. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and like a final thought that I kind of want to like leave this on is uh, the is to just always remember and like look at people with, I mean, to look at people with empathy. I'm like someone who's guilty of like not always being the most empathetic. And I think like that's something that I'm constantly working on. But to realize that the same reason somebody turns to like an illicit substance is the same reason other people usually with more, you know, means and resources turn to a psychiatrist or a therapist and that we need to treat those people similarly and that, like, understanding that a lot of times it just comes down to a lack of resources or a lack of, like, information about how to deal with what you're going through and that, like, again, like, needing medication isn't a bad thing and, and, like, the same way that we can't, like, stigmatize people for needing Adderall for ADHD you know we also can't stigmatize people who didn't have the resources to maybe get diagnosed and get prescribed and then are having to you know and maybe don't know that they might have like a condition like that and are turning to illicit substances instead to deal with whatever it is that they're going through and it's not that like you know talking about it fixes everything. I'm not like one of those people who says that awareness is everything, but um, yeah, definitely awareness un- is a lot of the times a cop out. Exactly until you know people accept on their face that like there is no difference between like these different types of substance abuse. All of those appeals about like you know I'm here for you, like just give me a call. They will ring hollow to the people who need them. 
um and like it, yeah we'll just they'll just dig yeah. their holes deeper so because a lot of it is shame i mean a lot facts. of people don't want to call their friend and say hey i've been abusing xanax or like yeah. i've been doing this and people don't want to or admit to it. you know they tell their friends that and like they don't see it as a bad thing like i you know yeah yeah someone and that definitely told me like, that and i was like wow i didn't know you could take so many in a night <laughs> yeah well and then that's like another thing is like if you're younger like maybe in like your early 20s or you're in college it's like people want to joke about like I think it's like okay to joke about these things I think I think it's always okay to like joke about like dark shit and stuff like you know stuff like that but there is like this line where we don't take it seriously enough when especially like in college like people joke about like abusing different drugs yeah. you know like taking a bunch of Adderall to like study for a midterm. It's like, and like <laughs> it's okay to joke about that, but also like have the understanding that like, but also take it seriously but, yeah. too. But also like, like which I, is a hard line to toe. Yeah. But also like, I know those campuses have like Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and I know that they operate in, se- in like secret and I know that I've been in them and I know that like the people who come in and like, they're like, it ha- like it got out of hand. Like, you can you can just see like how much the the damage that results from it is from the impulse of trying to run away from the title of like being an alcoholic or being a druggie or like being a loser. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because it's it's like yeah, because like once it gets to a point to where it's no longer in this like societally government sanctioned framework of like mm-hmm. a psychiatrist or a doctor. Yeah. it becomes a t- it becomes a totally different thing but it's all it's all um originates in the same place yeah. and so i think that's kind of like our our perspective on that and kind of like what the impetus yeah. for us wanting to be able to just like talk very casually about these things yeah. and it is there's a better term for it but it is indulgent like i like whatever i'm getting better for doing this so um we just hope that by listening to like the guinea pigs you know you'll you'll find a, a better way like you'll 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 lead your own experiments in your own ways so with all that said um so you can follow us on twitter instagram and all that stuff um and that all will be linked in the show notes and if you have comments questions concerns or ideas or things that you want us to talk about um you can email us at pgpcla at gmail.com also in the show notes or dm us um and if you are listening to this on a platform where you can rate and review we would much appreciate it um especially if they're positive ratings and reviews um and so with all that said this has been pretty girl pill club and take your meds call your friends drink water um meeting adjourned pretty girl pill club is a production of public notice llc produced by ronnie williams editing by christian macias created by sophie collis in conjunction with public notice llc 